We were bored and alone with COVID at play. Nothing to do with our lives through the day. Then we decided to put on a play. Let's try braving the bard. Henry Four, Part One, Act One. So shaken as we are, so wan with care, find we a time for frightened peace to pant, and breathe short-winded accents of new broils to be commenced in strands afar remote. No more the thirsty entrance of this soil shall dub her lips with her own children's blood. No more shall trenching war channel her fields, nor bruise her flowerets with armed hooves of hostile paces. The edge of war, like an ill-sheathed knife, no more shall cut his master. Therefore, friends, as far as to the sepulchre of Christ, whose soldier now under whose blessed cross we are impressed and engaged to fight, forthwith a power of English shall we levy, whose arms were molded in their mother's womb to chase these pagans in those holy fields, over whose acres walked those blessed feet, which 1,400 years ago were nailed for our advantage on the bitter cross. But this our purpose now is twelve month old, and bootless tis to tell you we will go. Therefore we meet not now. Let me hear of you, my gentle cousin Westmoreland, what yesternight our council did decree in forwarding this dear expedience. My liege, this haste was hot in question, and many limits of the charge set down, but yesternight when all athwart there came, a post from Wales loaden with heavy news, whose worst was that the noble Mortimer, leading the men of Herefordshire to fight against the irregular and wild Glendower, was by the rude hands of that Welshman taken, a thousand of his people butchered, upon whose dead corpse there was such misuse, such beastly, shameless transformation by those Welsh women done as may not be without much shame retold or spoken of. It seems, then, that the tidings of this broil break off our business for the Holy Land. This matched with other did, my gracious lord, for more uneven and unwelcome news came from the north, and thus it did import. On Holy Rude Day, the gallant Hotspur there, young Harry Percy and brave Archibald, that ever valiant and approved Scot, at Halmedon met, where they did spend a sad and bloody hour, as by discharge of their artillery. Here is a letter from a true industrious friend, Sir Walter Blunt. He hath brought us smooth and welcome news. The Earl of Douglas is discomfited. Ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights, balked in their own blood, did Sir Walter see on Holden's plains. Of prisoners, Hotspur took five valiant sons. And is not this an honorable spoil? A gallant prize? Oh, cousin, is it not? In faith, it is a conquest for a prince to boast of. Yea, there thou makest me sad and makest me sin in envy. That my lord Northumberland should be the father of so blessed a son, a son who is the theme of honor's tongue, whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonor stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle clothes our children where they lay, and called mine Percy his Plantagenet, then would I have his Harry and he mine. But let him from my thoughts. What think you, cuz, of this young Percy's pride? The prisoners, which he in this adventure hath surprised, to his own use he keeps. This is his uncle's teaching. This is Worcester, malevolent to you in all aspects. And for this cause a while we must neglect our holy purpose to Jerusalem. Cousin, on Wednesday next our council we will hold at Windsor, so inform the lords. 
but come yourself with speed to us again, for more is to be said and to be done than out of anger can be uttered. I will, my liege. There is a house in New Orleans They call the rising sun <laughs> And it's been the ruin of many a poor boy And God, I know I'm one <laughs> Come on, up with you Now, Al time of day is it, lad? What the devil hast thou to do with the time of day? Unless hours were cups of sack and minutes cappens. Oh, and clocks the tongues of bods and dials the signs of leaping houses. And the blessed sun himself, a fair hot wench and flame-colored taffeta. Oh, I see no reason why thou should be so superfluous to demand the time of day. Indeed. You come near me now, Hal, for we that take purses go by the moon and the seven stars, and not by Phoebus, he, that wandering knight so fair. And I prithee, sweet wag, when thou art king, as God save thy grace, majesty, I should say, for grace thou wilt have none. What? None? No, by my troth, not so much as will serve to prologue to an egg <laughs> and butter. <laughs> well, how then? Come, roundly, roundly. Marry then, sweet wag, when thou art king, let not us that are squires of the knight's body be called thieves of the day's beauty. Let us be Diana's foresters, gentlemen of the shade, minions of the moon, and let men say we be men of good government, being governed as the sea is by our noble and chaste mistress the moon under whose countenance we steal. But I prithee, sweet wag, shall there be gallows standing in England when thou art king, and resolution thus fobbed as it is with the rusty curb of old father antic the law? Do not thou, when thou art king, hang a thief. Oh, no! Thou shalt. Shall I? Oh, rare. By the Lord, I'll be a brave judge. Thou judgest falsely already. I mean, thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves, and so become a rare hangman. Well, Hal. Well, and in some sort it jumps with my humor as well as waiting in the court, I can tell you. For obtaining of suits. Yea, for obtaining of suits, whereof the hangman hath no lean wardrobe. Splut, I am as melancholy as a Jib cat or a lugged bear. Or an old lion. Or a lover's loot. Yea, or the drone of a Lincolnshire bagpipe. <laughs> what sayest thou to a hare? Or the melancholy of Mordich? Thou hast the most unsavory similes and art, indeed, the most comparative, rascaliest, sweet young prince. But, Hal, I prithee, trouble me no more with vanity. How to God, thou and I knew where a commodity of good names were to be bought. An old lord of the council rated me the other day in the street about you, sir. But I marked him not, and yet he talked very wisely. But I regarded him not, and yet he talked wisely, and in the street, too. Thou didst well, for wisdom cries out in the streets, and no man regards it. Oh, thou hast damnable iteration and art indeed able to corrupt a saint. Thou hast done much harm upon me, Hal. God forgive thee for it. Before I knew thee, Hal, I knew nothing. And now am I, if a man should speak truly, little better than one of the wicked. Where shall we take a purse tomorrow, Jack? Soons! Where thou wilt, lad, I'll make one, and I do not call me a villain and baffle me. I see a good amendment of life in thee, from praying to taking of purses. <laughs> what? How? Tis my vocation, how? 
"'Tis no sin for a man to labor in his vocation." Good morrow, sweet Hal. Good morrow, Ned. Poins! Oh, if men were to be saved by merit, what hole in hell were hot enough for him? This is the most omnipotent villain that ever cried stand to a true man. What says Monsieur Remorse? What says Sir John Sack and Sugar? Jack, how agrees the devil in thee about thy soul that thou soldest him on a good Friday last for a cup of Madaria? and a cold capon's leg. Oh, Sir John stands to his word. The devil shall have his bargain, for he has never yet the breaker of proverbs. He will give the devil his due. Then art thou damned for keeping thy word with the devil? Oh, or else he be damned for cousining the devil. <laughs> but my lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock, early at Gladshill, there are pilgrims going to Canterbury with rich offerings, and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have wizards for you all, you have horses for yourselves. I have bespoke supper tomorrow night in East Cheap. We may do it as secure as sleep. If you will go, I will stuff your purses full of crowns. If you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Hear ye, Edward. If I tarry at home and go not, I'll hang you for going. You will, Chops. How? Wilt thou make one? Oh, who? I, Rob? I, a thief? Oh, not I, by my faith. There's neither honesty, manhood, nor good fellowship in thee, nor thou camest not of the blood royal if thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Well then, once in my days I'll be a madcap. Why, that's well said. Well, come what will, I'll tarry at home. By the Lord, I'll be a traitor then when thou art king. I care not. Sir John, I prithee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he shall go. Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion and him the ears of profiting, that what thou speakest may move and what he hears may be believed, that the true prince may, for recreation's sake, prove a false thief. For the poor abuses of the time want countenance. Farewell! You shall find me in Eastcheap. Farewell, thou ladder spring. Farewell. Now, my good, sweet, honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardolph, Pato, and Gladshill shall rob those men that we have already waylaid. Yourself and I will not be there. And when they have the booty, if you and I do not rob them, cut this head off from my shoulders. How shall we part with them in setting forth? Why, we will set forth before and after them, and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein it is at our pleasure to fail, and then they will adventure upon the exploit themselves, which they have no sooner achieved, but will set upon them. Yes, but tis like they will know us by our horses, by our habits, and by every other appointment, to be ourselves. Tut, our horses they shall not see. I'll tie them in the wood. Our wizards we will change after we leave them. And Sirrah, I have cases of buckram for the nonce, to imisk our noted outward garments. Yes, but I doubt they will be too hard for us. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true-bred cowards as ever turned back. And for the third, if he fight longer than he sees reason, I'll forswear arms. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies that this same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. How thirty at least he fought with, what wards, what blows, what extremities he endured, and in the reproof of this lies the jest. Well, I will go with thee. Provide us all things necessary and meet me tomorrow night in Eastcheap. There, I'll sup. Farewell. Farewell, my lord. I know you all, and will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet, herein I will imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wanted, 
he may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. But when they seldom come, they wished for come, and nothing pleases but rare accidents. So, when this loose behavior I throw off and pay the debt I never promised, by how much better than my word I am, by so much shall I falsify men's hopes. And, like bright metal on sullen ground, my reformation glittering o'er my fault, shall show more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. I'll so offend, to make offense a skill, Redeeming time when men think least, I will. My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities. You tread upon my patience. But be sure, I will from henceforth rather be myself, mighty and to be feared. Our house, my sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it. And that same greatness to which our own hands have hoped to make so portly. My lord. Worcester, get thee gone, for I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. My good lord, those prisoners in your highness's name demanded, which Harry Percy here at Holmden took, were, as he says, not with such strength denied as is delivered to your majesty. Either envy, therefore, or misprison is guilty of this fault, and not my son. My liege, I did deny no prisoners. But I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin new-reaped showed like a stubble land at harvest home. And as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly to bring a slovenly, unhandsome course betwixt the wind and his nobility. With many holiday and lady terms he questioned me, amongst the rest demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf, and then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay, out of my grief and my impatience answered neglectingly I know not what, he should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet, and talk so like a waiting gentlewoman, this bald, unjointed chat of his, my lord. I answered impolitely, as I said, and I beseech you, let not his report come betwixt my love and your high majesty. And yet you do deny your prisoners, but with proviso and exception, that we at our own cost should ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who, on my soul, hath willfully betrayed the lives of those that he did leave to fight against that great magician, damned Glendower. Shall our coffers, then, be emptied to redeem a traitor home? No, on the barren mountains let him starve. For I shall never hold that man my friend, whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost to ransom home revolted Mortimer. Revolted Mortimer? He never did fall off, my sovereign liege, but by the chance of war... Sir, henceforth, let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of it. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. Come, pause a while. Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Speak of Mortimer! Zounds, I will speak of him! And let my soul want mercy if I do not join with him! 
Yea, on his part, I'll empty all these veins and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrodden Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king, as this ingrate and cankered Bolingbroke. He will forsooth have all my prisoners. And when I urged the ransom once again, and on my face he turned an eye of death, trembling even at the name of Mortimer. I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard that dead is the heir to the crown? He was. I heard the proclamation. And then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs in us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition, from whence he intercepted, did return, to be disposed and shortly murdered. And for whose death we in the world's wide mouth lived scandalized and foully spoken of. But soft, I pray you, did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown? He did. Myself did hear it. Nay, then I cannot blame his cousin King, that wished him on the barren mountain starve. But shall it be that you, that set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, oh, pardon me that I descend so low, to show the line and the predicament wherein you range under this subtle king? Shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf, as both of you, God pardon it, have done, to put down Richard that sweet, lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker bowling brook? And shall it in more shame be further spoken, that you are fooled, discarded, and shook off by him for whom these shames you underwent? No. Yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honors and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again. Revenge the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king who studies day and night to answer all the debts he owes to you, even with the bloody payment of your debts. Therefore, I say, Peace, restore the- cousin, say no more. And now I will enclasp a secret book and to your quick conceiving discontents, I'll read you matter deep and dangerous, as full of peril and adventurous spirit as to overwalk a current roaring loud on the unsteadfast footing of a spear. <sighs> Imagination of some great exploit drives him beyond the bounds of patience. By heaven, methinks it were an easy leap to pluck bright honor from the pale-faced moon, or dive into the bottom of the deep where Fathomline could never touch the ground, and pluck up drowned honor by the locks, so he that doth redeem her thence might wear, without carival, all her dignities. But out upon this half-faced fellowship! Peace, good cousin, give me audience for a while. <sighs> I cry you mercy. Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners? I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a scot of them. You start away, and lend no ear unto my purposes. Those prisoners you shall keep. Nay, I will, that's flat. He said he would not ransom Mortimer. Forbade my tongue to speak of Mortimer. But I will find him when he sleeps, and in his ear I'll holla Mortimer! Very well, kinsman. I'll talk to you when you are better tempered to attend. Why, what a wasp stung and impatient fool art thou to break into this woman's mood? Tying thine ear to no tongue but thine own. Why, look you, I am whipped and scourged with rods, nettled and stung with pissmires, when I hear of this vile politician Bolingbroke. Oh, the devil takes such prisoners! God forgive me. Good uncle, tell your tale, I have done. Nay, if you have not, to it again. We will stay your leisure. I have done. Then once more to your Scottish prisoners. Deliver them up without their ransom straight, and make the Douglas son your only mean for powers in Scotland, which for divers reasons, which I shall send you written, be assured, will easily be granted. You, my lord, your son in Scotland being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate, well beloved the Archbishop. 
I speak not this in estimation as what I think might be, but what I know is ruminated, plotted, and set down, and only stays but to behold the face of that occasion that shall bring it on. In faith, it is exceedingly well aimed. And tis no little reason bids us be to save our heads by raising of a head. For bear ourselves as even as we can, the king will always think him in our debt. <laughs> and think we think ourselves unsatisfied till he hath found a time to pay us home. And see already how he doth begin to make us strangers to his looks of love. He does, he does. We'll be revenged on him. Nephew, farewell. No further go in this than I by letter shall direct your course. When time is ripe, which will be suddenly, I'll steal to Glendower and Lord Mortimer. Farewell, good brother. We shall thrive, I trust. Uncle, adieu. <laughs> Let the hours be short, till fields and blows and groans applaud our sport. Shelter, shelter. I've removed Falstaff's horse, and he frets like a gummed velvet. <laughs> Stand close. Pines! Pines and be hanged! Pines! Where's Pines, Hal? He is walked to, up to the top of the hill. I'll go seek him. I am a curse to rob in that thief's company. The rascal hath removed my horse and tied him I know not where. I have forsworn his company hourly, any time, this two and twenty years, and yet I am bewitched with the rogue's company. If the rascal prince hath not given me medicines to make me love him, I'll be hanged. It could not be else. I have drunk medicines! Pines! Hell! Ah, plague upon you both. Bardolph! Peto! I'll starve here, I'll rob a foot further. A plague upon it when thieves cannot be true to one another. Phew! A plague upon you all! Give me my horse, you rogues! Give me my horse and be hanged! Peace, you fat guts! Lie down! Lie thine ear close to the ground and list if thou canst hear the threat of travelers. I prithee, good Prince Hal, help me to my horse, good King's son. Out, ye rogue! Shall I be your ostler? Go, hang thyself in thine own air, apparent garters. If I be taden, I'll peach for this, and I have not ballads made on you all and sung to filthy tunes. Come, shelter, shelter. I've removed Falstaff's horse, and he frets like a gummed velvet. Oh, tis our setter. I know his voice. Bardolph, what news? Casey, Casey, on with your visits. There's money of the king's coming down the hill. He's going to the king's exchequer. You lie, ye rogue. Tis going to the king's tavern. There's enough to make us all. To be hanged. Sirs, you four shall front them in the narrow line. Ned, Poins, and I will walk lower. If they escape from your encounter, then they light on us. How many be there of them? Some eight or ten. Sounds... Will they not rob us? What? A coward? Sir John Punch? Indeed, I am not John of Gaunt, your grandfather, but yet no coward, Hal. Well, we leave that to the proof. Sirrah Jack, thy horse stands behind the hedge. When thou needest him, there thou shalt find him. Farewell, and stand fast. Now cannot I strike him if I should be hanged? Ned, where are our disguises? Here, hard by, stand close. Now, my masters, happy be his dole, say I. Every man to his business. Boom! You move now. Nobody move. Hang ye. Bind them. The thieves have bound the true men. Now thou and I could rob the thieves and go merrily to London. Oh, it would be an argument for a week, laughter for a month, and a good jest forever. <laughs> Stand close, I hear them coming. Come, come, my masters, let us share, and then to horse before day, 
and the prince and poins be not two errant cowards, there's no equity stirring. There's no more valor in that poins than in a wild duck. Your money! Villains! Shit! <laughs> Got with much ease. Now merrily to horses. The thieves are all scattered and possessed with fear so strongly that they dare not meet each other. Each takes his fellow for an officer. Away, good Hal. Falstaff sweats to death and lards the lean earth as he walks along. Were it not for laughing, I should pity him. I could be well contented to be there in respect of the love I bear your house. He could be contented? Why is he not then? In respect of the love he bears our house, he shows in this. He loves his own barn better than he loves our house. Let me see some more. purpose you undertake is dangerous. Why, that's certain. Tis dangerous to take a cold, to sleep, to drink. But I tell you, my lord fool, out of this nettle danger, we pluck this flower safety. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. The friends you have named uncertain. The time itself unsorted, and your whole plot too light for the counterpoise of so great an opposition? <laughs> say you so, say you so. I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack brain this is. By the Lord, our plot is as good a plot as ever was laid. Our friends, true and constant. A good plot, good friends, and full of expectation. An excellent plot, very good friends. What a frosty spirited rogue is this. Sounds and I were now by this rascal, I could brain him with his lady's fan. Is there not my father, my uncle, and myself, Lord Edmund Mortimer, and Owen Glentower? Is there not besides the Douglas? Have I not all their letters to meet me in arms by next month? And are they not some of them set forward already? What a pagan rascal is this, an infidel! You shall see now, in very sincerity of fear and cold heart, will he to the king and lay open all our proceedings. Oh, I could divide myself and go to Buffett's for moving such a dish of skim milk with so honorable an action. Hang him! Let him tell the king we are prepared. I will set forward tonight. How now, Kate? I must leave you within these two hours. Oh, my good lord, why are you thus alone? For what offense have I this fortnight been, a banished woman from my Harry's bed? Tell me, sweet lord, what is that takes thee from thy stomach, pleasure, and thy golden sleep? Why dost thou bend thine eyes upon the earth, and start so often when thou sittest alone? Why hast thou lost thy fresh blood in thy cheeks, and given my treasures and my rights of thee to thick-eyed musing and cursed melancholy? In thy faint slumbers I by thee have watched, and heard thee murmur tales of iron wars, speak terms of manage to thy bounding steed, cry courage to the field, and thou hast talked of prisoners as ransom, and of soldiers slain, and all the currents of a heady fight. Thy spirit within thee hath been so at war, and thus hath so bestirred thee in thy sleep, that beads of sweat have stood upon thy brow like bubbles in a late disturbed stream. And in thy face strange motions have appeared, such as when we see men Restrain their breath on some great sudden hest. <laughs> what portents are these? Some heavy business hath my lord in hand, and I must know it, else he loves me not. What sayest thou, my lady? What is it that carries you away? Why, my horse, my love, my horse. Out, you mad-headed ape! 
A weasel hath not such a deal of spleen as you are tossed with. In faith, I'll know your business, Harry. That I will. I fear my brother Mortimer doth stir about his title and hath sent for you to line his enterprise. Oh, but if you go... So far afoot I shall be weary, love. Come, come, you paraquito, answer me directly unto this question that I ask. In faith, I'll break thy little finger, Harry, and if thou wilt not tell me all things true... Away, away, you trifler! Love, I love thee not. I care not for thee, Kate. This is no world to play with mammoths and to tilt with lips. We must have bloody noses and cracked crowns and pass them current, too. God's me and my horse! What sayest thou, Kate? What wouldst thou have with me? Do you not love me? Do you not, indeed? Well, do not, then. For since you love me not, I will not love myself. Do you not love me? Nay, tell me if you speak in jest or no. Come, wilt thou see me ride? And when I am on horseback, I will swear I love thee infinitely. But hark you, Kate, I must not have you henceforth question me whither I go, nor reason whereabout. Whither I must, I must. And to conclude, this evening must I leave you, gentle Kate. I know you wise, but yet no farther wise than Harry Percy's wife. Constant you are, but yet a woman. And for secrecy, no lady closer. For I well believe thou wilt not utter what thou dost not know. And so far will I trust thee, gentle Kate. How, so far? Not an inch further. But hark you, Kate. Whither I go, thither shall you go too. Today I will set forth, tomorrow you. Will this content you, Kate? <laughs> it must have force. Sit, Cousin Percy, sit, good Cousin Hotspur, for by that name is when the English king doth speak of you, his cheeks look pale with a rising sigh, he wishes you in heaven. And you in hell, as oft as he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. <laughs> I cannot blame him. At my nativity, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes of burning cressets, and at my birth, the frame and huge foundation of the earth shaped like a coward. Why, so it would have done at the same season if your mother's cat had but kittened, though yourself had never been born. I say the earth did shake when I was born. And I say the earth was not of my mind, if you suppose as fearing you it shook. The heavens were all on fire. The earth did tremble. Oh, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire and not in fear of your nativity. Cousin. Of many men, I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again, at my birth, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frightened fields. These signs have marked me extraordinary. And all of all the courses of my life do show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living? Clipped in with the sea, the chives of the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which call me pupil or have read to me. And bring him out that is but woman's son, can trace me to the tedious ways of art, and hold me at peace in deep experiments. I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. All to dinner. Mortimer, will you join me? Peace, Cousin Percy, you will make him mad. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Why, so can I, or so can any man. But will they come when you do call for them? Why, I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. And I can teach thee, cuz, to shame the devil by telling truth. Tell truth and shame the devil. If thou have power to raise him, bring him hither, and I'll be sworn I have power to shame him hence. Oh, while you live, tell truth and shame the devil! Come, come, no more of this unprofitable chat. Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made heed against my power. Thrice from the banks of Wye and Sandy Bottom Severn have I sent him. Bootless home and weather-beaten back. 
Home without boots, and in foul weather too. How scapes he aches in the devil's name? <laughs> Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold order taken? <clears throat> the archdeacon hath divided it into three limits very equally. England, from Trent and Severn hitherto, by south and east, is to my part assigned. All westward, Wales beyond the Severn shore, and all the fertile land within that bound, to Owen Glendower, and, dear cuz, to you, the remnant northward lying off from Trent. And our indentures to partite are drawn, which being sealed interchangeably, a business that this night may execute, tomorrow, cousin Percy, you and I, and my good lord of Worcester, will set forth to meet your father in the Scottish power, as is appointed us at Shrewsbury. A shorter time shall send me to you, lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you must now steal and take no leave, for there will be a world of watershed upon the parting of your wives and you. Methinks me moiety, north from Burton here, in quantity equals not one of yours. See how this river comes me cranking in and cuts me from the best of all my land. I'll not have it altered. Will not you? No, nor you shall not. Who shall say me nay? Why, that will I. Let me not understand you then. Speak it in Welsh. I can speak English, Lord, as well as you. For I was trained up in the English court, where, being but young, I framed to the harp. Many an English ditty lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament, a virtue that was never seen in you. Mary, and I am glad of it with all my heart, and that would set my teeth nothing on edge, nothing so much as mincing poetry. Tis like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Come, you shall have Trent turned. I do not care. I'll give thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark ye me, I'll cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? The moon shines fair. You may away by night. I'll haste the rider and withal. Break with your wives of your departure hence. Fie, cousin Percy! How you cross my father! I cannot choose! Sometimes he angers me with telling me of the Moldwarp and the Ant, of the dreamer Merlin and his prophecies. I tell you what, he held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's names that were his lackeys. I cried, hum, and well, go to, but marked him not a word. Go! He is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife, worse than a smoky house. I had rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill far than feed on Kate's and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. In faith, he is a worthy gentleman, exceedingly well-read, and profited in strange concealments, valiant as a lion, and as wondrous affable and as bountiful as mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin? He holds your temper in a high respect, and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come across his humor. Faith, he does. I warrant you, that man is not alive might so have tempted him as you have done, without the taste of danger and reproof. But do not use it oft. Let me entreat you. Well, I am schooled. Good manners be your speed. Here come our wives. And let us take our leave. How many thousand of my poorest subjects are at this hour asleep? Oh, sleep. Oh, gentle sleep, nature's soft nurse. How have I frighted thee? that thou no more wilt weigh my eyelids down and steep my senses in forgetfulness. Why rather sleep, liest thou in smoky cribs, upon uneasy pallets stretching thee and hushed with buzzing nightflies to thy slumber, then in the perfumed chambers of the great, under the canopies of costly state, and lulled with the sound of sweetest melody? O oh, thou dull god, 
Why liest thou with the vile in loathsome beds, and leavest the kingly couch, a watch-case, or a common larambel? Wilt thou upon the high and giddy mast seal up the ship-boy's eyes, and rock his brains in cradle of the rude imperious surge, and in the visitation of the winds who take the ruffian billows by the top, curling their monstrous heads and hanging them with deafening clamor in the slippery clouds, that, with the hurly, death itself awakes? Canst thou, O partial sleep, give thy repose to the wet sea-boy in an hour so rude, and in the calmest and most stillest night, with all appliances and means to boot, Deny it to a king? Then, happy low, lie down. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. My lord, you called for me, ma'am. Yes. Come in. I know not whether God will have it so, for some displeasing service I have done that in his secret doom out of my blood he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost in thy passages of life make me believe that thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreadings. Tell me else, could such inordinate and low desires, such poor, such bare, such lewd, such mean attempts, such barren pleasures, rude society, as thou art matched with all engrafted to, Accompany the greatness of thy blood, and hold their level with thy princely heart. So please, your majesty, I would, I could quit all offenses as clear excuse, as well as I am doubtless I can purge myself of many I am charged with all. Wherein my youth hath faulty wandered and irregular, find pardon on my true submission. God pardon thee! Thy place in council thou hast rudely lost and art almost an alien to the hearts of all the court and princes of my blood. The hope and expectation of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forethink thy fall. Had I so lavish of my presence been, so stale and cheap to vulgar company, opinion that did help me to the crown, had still kept loyal to possession, and left me in reputeless banishment, a fellow of no mark nor likelihood. By being seldom seen, I could not stir, but like a comet I was wondered at, that men would tell their children, this is he. Others would say, where? Which is Bolingbroke? And then I stole all courtesy from heaven and dressed myself in such humility that I did pluck allegiance from men's heart, loud shouts and salutations from their mouths, even in the presence of the crowned king. <laughs> The skipping king before me, he ambled up and down with shallow jesters and mingled his royalty with capering fools, grew a companion to the common streets and fiefed himself to popularity. So when he had occasion to be seen, he was but as the cuckoo his in June, heard, not regarded, seen but with such eyes as sick and blunted with community afford no extraordinary gaze, such as is bent on sunlike majesty, being with his presence glutted, gorged, and full. And in that very line, Harry, standest thou, for thou hast lost thy princely privilege, with vile participation, not an eye but is a-weary of thy common sight, save mine, which hath desired to see thee more. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious lord, be more myself for all the world, as thou art to this hour, was Richard then, and even as I was then is Hotspur now. Now by my scepter and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest to the state than thou the shadow of succession. He doth fill fields with harness in the realm, turns heads against the lion's armored jaws, and being no more in debt to years than thou, leads ancient lords and reverend bishops on to bloody battles and to bruising arms, this infant warrior. And what say you to this? Percy, Northumberland, the Archbishop's Grace of York, Douglas, Mortimer, capitulate against us and are up. But wherefore do I tell these news to thee? 
Why, Harry, do I tell thee of my foes which art my nearest and dearest enemy? Do not think it so. You shall not find it so. And God forgive them that so much have swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me. I will redeem all this on Percy's head, and in the closing of some glorious day, be bold to tell you that I am your son. When I will wear a garment all of blood and stain my favors in a bloody mask, which washed away shall score my shame with it, and that shall be the day whenever it lights, that this some, that this same child of honor and renown, this gallant Hotspur, this all-praised knight, and your unthought-of Harry chance to meet. For every honor sitting on his helm would they were multitudes, and on my head my shames redoubled. For the time will come that I shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities. Percy is but my factor, good my lord, to engross up glorious deeds on my behalf. And I will call him to so strict account that he shall render every glory up, yes, even the slightest worship of his name, or I will tear the reckoning from his heart. This. In the name of God, I promise here. The which, if he be pleased, I shall perform. I do beseech your majesty may solve the long-grown wounds of my intemperance. If not, the end of life cancels all bands, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths ere I break the smallest parcel a hundred thousand rebels die in this. Thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein. On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday, we ourselves will march. Our meeting is Bridge North. And Harry, you shall march through Gloucestershire, by which account our business valued some twelve days hence our general forces at Bridge North shall meet. Our hands are full of business, let's away. Advantage feeds him fat while men delay. Mm -hmm.